This is Shane Gibson's podcast from ClosingBigger.net. Today we've got a guest on our show, and he's none other than Guy Kawasaki. Guy Kawasaki is the co-founder of Alltop.com, an online magazine rack of popular topics on the web, and a founding partner at Garage Technology Ventures as well. He was also the chief evangelist of Apple. Kawasaki is also the author of 10 books, including the book we're going to talk about today, which is Enchantment, Reality Check, The Art of the Start, Rules for Revolutionaries, How to Drive Your Competition Crazy, Selling the Dream, and the Macintosh Way. He also has a BA from Stanford University and an MBA from UCLA, as well as an honorary doctorate from Babson College. Guy, thanks a lot for logging on today. Sure. Glad to be here. So Enchantment, uh, this is your 10th book. Uh, yeah. I, guess, uh, I guess the first question was, what was the big burning motivation to uh, hit the keyboard again and, and put another book out? A big advance. A big advance. Hey, that's a that's that's a great and honest answer. So, well, you know, part of being enchanting is being trustworthy, and part of being trustworthy is being honest. Right? That's fantastic. Uh, now, you know, also, I wanted to pass on this knowledge so that people with innovative products and services can make a dent in the universe. Of, you know, it is not true that the best product necessarily wins. It's also not true that. Uh, you know, lousy marketing can, uh, you know, can defeat a good product. So we're, we're in an ideal world, you would have a great product and you would have great marketing. And um, I'm trying to help the people in the latter area uh, with this book. Fantastic. So, you know, the word, and I tend to use it in my seminars until actually recently I asked people to at a luncheon to throw a french fry at me if i said it more than four times yeah. and that was the word engagement and we hear that word uh-huh. a lot you know and it's it's a it's an easy word to fill in the fill in the blanks sometimes uh and then uh, i remember tweeting online actually about your slideshare presentation about it being engaging uh and you corrected me quickly and said no no it's enchanting uh and i <laughs> I thought that was pretty rapid, uh, and you you know definitely paying attention. And so I guess maybe let's start off with what is the difference between enchantment and engagement, or 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 even the word persuasion versus enchantment? What does it really mean? Well, engagement means that you have some kind of attention, right? That you are paying attention. That you are uh, at least. You know, in the game, that your head is uh, focused on what you're doing. Persuasion is at a similar level. Persuasion is more transaction-based, that you've persuaded someone to buy your Dell or HP laptop. Enchantment is at a higher level than both of these, because enchantment is more of a, a delightful relationship. You know, I didn't persuade you to buy a Macintosh, uh, I enchanted you to buy a Macintosh, and by enchanting you with a Macintosh, I opened the door for iPhone, iPod, iPad, buy anything. And so Apple has a different relationship with its customers than, say, an HP or a Dell. And so what we're trying to do is take it to a higher level, uh, because persuasion is, is more transaction-oriented. You know, you've, we've You've persuaded me to do this particular buy. Uh, that that doesn't necessarily mean things are going to be any easier for you with me in the future. Absolutely. 
So, and a big part of enchantment, uh, from you know looking at it, uh, you talk about uh, the need to achieve likability, and mm -hmm. I, I think about uh, you know people as being likable. Uh, when I think about selling a brand or innovative idea, how do how do we make that likable from a marketing perspective? Well, uh, at, at some level, uh, people represent a brand. I mean, the employees represent a product or a service. It's it's very difficult to you know, completely separate the two. So I guess you could say, well, well, we'll put these two widgets on a shelf and you don't know anybody about the company, anything about the company or the people who made them, you know, is one product more attractive or more enchanting than the other? Truly, yes, that can be done with industrial design and, and things like that. But uh, it, it really takes the totality of the picture. It's not as simple as I'll make a cool design and it'll enchant people. Because you could buy a very enchanting product, and it sucks. It doesn't really work. Lousy support, lousy service, lousy return policy. Um, you know, I mean. <laughs> and I guess that rolls back to you know when you're talking in chapter three about trustworthiness. Yes. That 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 is something that's I guess deaf is needed to extend the brand to continue that enchantment. Well. The, the, the first test is, have you ever been enchanted by someone you didn't like? The answer to that is probably no. So now let's say we've checked the like box off, you know, smile, handshake, uh, appropriate dress, all, all the good stuff that you're a likable person. Now, you can like somebody and still not trust the person. And a very good example of this is in um, – Celebrities. You could like a celebrity, right? I mean, you could like Tom Cruise. That doesn't mean you're going to trust him to tell you what, you know, what your religion should be. Uh, so we we need to go beyond this just likable to trustworthiness. And trustworthiness, step one, and you know, eighty percent of the battle is the realization that for you to be trusted, you have to first trust others. And I think a great example of this is something like Zappos, where they trusted people to return shoes that they didn't like, so much so that they paid shipping both ways. And so it, it wasn't, you know, a, a lot of people would approach Zappos in a different way, which is, well, we're a startup, we can't afford to pay shipping both ways. Someday, if we're a billion-dollar corporation, at that point, we can pay for shipping that both ways. But until then, you know, you buy it, you own it. Or you buy it, you don't like it, you pay shipping back. Uh, but if they had done that, they would not be Zappos today. They'd never so, hit the billion. Yeah, they would never hit the billion. They would be, you know, I, I question whether they would have survived because the hard thing with online shopping is it comes down to the question, would women buy shoes they haven't tried on? And, you know, I, Zappos changed the question to, will women buy shoes they haven't tried on that they can return for free? Clearly, they can. They do, right? So the trust had to come first. Fantastic. So, I guess in a in an age of total transparency, whether we like it or not, I mean, you know, you you're authentic whether you like it or not, because people are going to see all of you with the social web and everybody armed with cameras, and everyone's now a journalist. At least they they feel they are. Yeah. Uh, so how how vital is it to I guess be trustworthy, but not only that. How easy is it to lose it, and how can you get it back? If you've violated the trust or lost that trust, do you talk about how people can regain that trust? 
Well, it's a lot easier to never lose it <laughs> than yes. to regain it, right? And you know, I, it, I don't think people should approach trustworthiness as if it's an act. And you know, this is how you act trustworthy. It, it's a much deeper thing than that. I mean, it's not how you act; it's what you are. And I would make the case that if you are trusting, first of all, and if you are honest, and if you are transparent. Now, if some people don't realize that, you know, be careful what you ask for, because someone can be honest and transparent, and you might not like what you see. Absolutely. Right? So, uh, transparency can cut both ways. And there are, you know, there are people in the world, salespeople in the world, who are very transparent. They want to make a sale. That's neither here nor there, right? I mean, you, you can't criticize them for that, but you got to give them credit. At least they're honest. You know, they don't want to be your friend. They want to sell you a car. Okay. Um, so transparency can make you see things you don't want to see. <laughs> Absolutely. So when you took, now is that part of, I know there's mention in the book of talking about enchanting your employees or enchanting your yeah. team. Uh, and I guess that is how integral do you see that as part of building an enchanting brand? Well, I think it's very important because it's hard to imagine a situation where if you have a bunch of grumpy, unlikable employees, you know, how, how do you think they're going to enchant customers? <laughs> it's kind of a stretch, right? Yes. You have angry people who work for you, and you want them to put on a smile and you know, enchant customers. That, that just does not compute. So I think the key thing for you to be able to enchant someone who works for you is you provide what I call a map. And MAP stands for, um, M-A-P, stands for meaning and, excuse me, mastery. Jeez, I'm like losing my mind. <laughs> the M stands for mastery, yes. um, meaning that you enable a person to gain a skill set. So if you come, work, come to work for me, we'll, we'll help you master social media, yes. for example, right? So it's not just the money. You're also improving yourself, your skill set. Uh, the A stands for autonomy, that you come to work for me, you'll learn to master social media, and you'll work autonomously. I'm not going to be breathing down your neck. And the P stands for purpose, that you come to work for me, you'll be great, gaining a great skill, you'll be working autonomously, and this organization has a higher purpose than just exchanging widgets for money. We are trying to make the world a better place. We're trying to make people more creative or more productive. We're trying to democratize information, you know, something like that. So if you present an employee with the ability to improve himself or herself, working autonomously at a high-level purpose, you'll, you'll enchant the employee. So the MAP acronym, when you were talking about this, it really resonates with me with the feedback that I've, I've gotten from your millennial or generation Y employee, even more so than, would you say even more so than, let's say the baby boomer that works in the office, that that MAP acronym is, uh, that MAP formula is really, really vital to engage, uh, you know, the millennials. Yeah, the, the uh, boomer may be too jaded. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, they, they, they've been there and done that, <laughs> maybe. Uh, but the millennial, yes, um, because the, the the boomer may think they've you know they know everything already, but the millennial is trying to learn and master new stuff. Yeah. So yeah. So, talking about overcoming resistance, 
I, and I, I'm trying to kind of get my head around this this uh, topic. You you talk about in the book overcoming resistance from an enchantment perspective. What type of resistance do you come up against? What is what are your blocks or hurdles uh, to really a be an enchanting person or b develop that enchanting business? Well, I think in many cases, you know that the current solution, the current product, the current service is good enough, right? I mean, it may not be the greatest, but it's good enough. And so a lot of it is overcoming momentum, that if you if you were listening to cassette tapes in Walkmans and you had a 90-minute tape, you know, it's kind of good enough, right? I mean, yeah. you've got 90 minutes of music, and it's in a thing that's you know, arguably almost fits in your shirt pocket, so it's good enough. And so, you know, you come out with an iPod or an MP3 player, and it can hold in <laughs> gigabytes, I mean, hundreds of songs instead of 90 minutes of one album, um, and, and it's thinner, and it's cooler, and, you know, blah, blah, blah. So you have to, but you, but you are overcoming something that is good enough. And many people think, well, that's good enough. You know, why do I need to switch? Uh, so that's one thing. And then there's another kind of thing where you clearly are better, and and it's not really only the fact that you're dealing with something good enough. It's that some people just don't care. They don't. I mean, it's just not important to them. Like, uh, I'm an example of this that. I am not a particular eater, okay? I'm not a foodie. You yes. just basically put something in front of me and I'll eat it, okay? <laughs> you know? So, so, you know, trying to enchant me with food is, is kind of difficult because as long as it's not moving, <laughs> you know, I'll consume it. Whereas, if, you know, if someone's really into food, you could enchant them with a great meal and, uh, same thing for me. You're gonna think like I'm this troglodyte, but uh, I'm not into wine. You put yep. something in a glass, I'll drink it. You know, I don't. I can't tell the difference. No. And so, it's it's not that I'm a bad person. It's not. You know, it's just it's not on my radar. It's just not important. Now, on the other hand, you know, I, I love cars. I love hockey. There are things that I really. I love computers. You know, there are things that I really really picky about yes and those kind of things is where you can enchant me so if i was to kind of reverse that then as a as a business if i knew what characteristics i had that were very enchanting would it be then up to me to find that market which resonates with that uh yes although um there's a common question of which came first did did you make a great product that you know, enchanted this group of people, or did you see this great group of people and you said, "Well, I'm going to enchant them," and this is how. Yes. Um, I. It's been my experience that the way it works is two guys in a garage, two gals in a garage, a guy and a gal in a garage. They create the product that they want to use. Steve and Waz create a personal computer. You know, and David Philo and Jerry Yang create a, a directory of the web, and. Uh, Larry and Sergey create a better search engine. And this is the search engine, and this is the directory, and this is the personal computer, and this is the online video site, and this is the, you know, 140 character messages to the world that they wanted to use. So they built this thing, and lo and behold, probably to their utter amazement, there are more people than the two of them who want to use this product. 
And so this product becomes very enchanting to people who at the time may not have even thought or realized that they wanted a personal computer or a different search engine or a directory of the web or Twitter or Facebook. So I think it's very difficult to go to people and say, you know, would you like a cute little computer that has no software, is too slow, and is vertically oriented with this thing called a mouse and a trash can? Because, you know, very people would say, yeah, I mean, I've been thinking about that all day. You know, how, how, do, I, how do I get this computer? Um, or, you know, if, if you were pitching YouTube and you went to somebody and said, well, we're going to create this thing in the sky where you can upload all the video that you have and share it with other people. And most people would say, what video? <laughs> you know, I have, a, I have a Kodak camera. I shoot film. <laughs> what video are you talking about that I'm going to upload? So uh, I, I am definitely in the camp of the, the most enchanting products that I've seen, it is definitely field of dreams. I mean, we build it and we hope you'll come. Fantastic. So starting a brand new business, uh, and I mean, I've got a couple of new ventures of my own that are you know, being mm-hmm. minted, and I think about how do I, from the ground up, from the very beginning, create a culture of enchantment? What are a, a first couple things uh, you know, to, a, to that guy in the garage, that guy and that girl in the garage, uh, to prepare and get ready to launch that business? Well, I think it starts with the desire to build a product that they want to use, which is very different than saying, well, I, I read this report from this, you know, McKinsey, or I read this report from Jupiter or, or Forrester or somebody, and they said, you know, there's going to be a $100 billion market for this. So I don't really care about this segment, but since there's going to be such a huge market, I'm going to build the product for it. Uh, I don't think that works. And, you know, if, if, if you want to create just the world's greatest, you know, I don't know, chocolate-covered sushi, you know, go for it. I mean, cause if you want to eat chocolate-covered sushi, maybe there's other people. But to, to open up a magazine and, and, you know, the magazine says, well, we predict that, um, I don't know, this new kind of food is going to be the hippest thing, and, and you don't really care about that kind of food. But you say, okay, so, you know, they said that this is the hot food trend, so we'll go make this kind of food from now on. Yeah. It's like the disengaged franchise owner. You can tell. You go yeah. in, they, they, bought, they bought a job, and they were right. passionate about donuts. Right, <laughs> right. Or cleaning carpets. Right. Uh, right. But you know what, though? The, the market said this was the best ROI. Yeah, and exactly. It's not going to be an engaging business owner, to say the least, or sorry, enchanting business owner, to say the least. No. So um, push and pull technology, I was curious about this. You know, I, I'm thinking about, you know, from an enchantment perspective, how important these technologies are. Um, could you kind of give us sort of a 20,000-foot a view of, of what these sure. technologies are you're talking about? Sure. So push technology is something that you shove out. You shove out email you shove out tweets, right? So you're, you're kind of pushing. Yes. Pull technology is you try to suck people into your website, you know, suck them into your Facebook fan page. And it's two very different businesses. Um, both are necessary. You know, you need Twitter to push out your information, but you also need a Facebook fan page and you need a web page so that people will come to something. The, each of them have their strengths and each of them have their 
challenges. The challenge with pull technology is can you make something so compelling and so, to use your word, engaging that people keep coming back? Push technology, can you push stuff at them that they don't resent it after a while? Uh, so there are advantages and disadvantages for both, but both are necessary. So the, those push messages, those good push messages uh, are like the great one-line you know, headlines that you write <laughs> and that your team write uh, with you know, your Guy Kawasaki Twitter account where you're asking these sort of making these compelling statements or these strange statements at times. <laughs> uh, but it, it makes us want to kind of click through and dig into that content. So that's an example of a, of a push. Uh, well, and, with my push philosophy... I've been inspired by NPR. So with NPR, at least my interpretation of NPR, they have, you know, Fresh Air with Terry Gross. They have Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me with Peter Sagal. They have the Bob Edwards Show. They have This American Life. And I love those content, click and clack, right? I love that kind of content. So 99% of the time you hear these great NPR shows 1% 1% of the time, they're hitting you with, operators are standing by. We have a matching grant for $1,000. If you call it, you will get the new, you know, mouse pad as a gift for donating $20 a month. And I don't know anybody who likes to hear that pitch, but I think that NPR has earned the right to promote their telethons and colophons and fundraising because they have given you such great content. And so my theory is, with Twitter in particular, that I'm trying to give you great content, links to stuff you would have never found. And they're funny stuff, they're interesting stuff, they're beautiful stuff. And, you know, I am like, I'm, I'm your filter. I'm your filter to finding stuff that makes you say, holy cow. And in exchange, I need to hit you with promotion every once in a while. So... I've been earning this right for about two years, <laughs> and when the book is available in a store, I'm gonna, I'm gonna hit them so hard with promotion on Twitter and Facebook, they won't know uh, which way is up. But I think, I think I've earned the right. What's your great content to promotion ratio for for Twitter, for for email, uh, for even your blog? I mean, what do you think? I, I, is there a is there a number? Is there a well? I think it's you know something in the magnitude of ten or twenty to one. Yeah, and I mean content to promotion, not yes. promotion to content. So yeah, you know, if you have if you have twenty tweets that are really interesting things, then yeah, I think all right. So now you could slip one in. I mean, if you you know when you watch something like House or Twenty Four or Hawaii Five O, it'd be interesting. You know, so in one hour, how much is really Hawaii Five O? How much is Twenty Four? How much is House? Ah, oh, God, I I don't know what that number is. I bet you it's. Three to one, maybe? Yeah, it's about 42 minutes out of an ad. Yeah, 40 yeah. and 18 minutes of ads? Yeah. So, you know, do, do, do in the social media, it's kind of different. But if you did, uh, for every w- w- three tweets with content, you had one tweet of promotion, you'd get slaughtered on social media. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> right? So... So obviously it's not the same as TV, although you know people should think of it closer to TV because I, I wonder how many people have written to the producer of Hawaii Five O or Twenty Four or House or Glee or you know whatever iCarly whatever you watch and said I'm never watching your show again because you have too many ads. 
Not too many. Not too many, right? Now, on the other hand, you know, God help you if you promote something with social media. <laughs> you got to be so careful. And, and, and I yeah. guess that's kind of on to sort of my next question is, you know, I, as you know, when Jay and I, uh, you know, wrote our latest book on social media, we really talked about the importance of having a really solid home base, which is uh-huh. that blog you mentioned, that pull technology. What makes an enchanting blog, an enchanting home base? What, what do you think are the important characteristics? Well, at some level, consistently, you need to provide one of several things, either information, um, for example, uh, you know, Amazon just, or not a few weeks ago, they announced an app where you can be in a store, you take your iPhone, you shoot a picture of the uh, barcode of a product, it takes that barcode, it goes up to Amazon, and it tells you what Amazon would charge you for that same product. Yes. Okay? So it's th- just knowing that that product exists, that information is very useful. Mm-hmm. So that's one level. You know, wow, this exists. A second kind of information is, um, an analysis. So, yes, it exists, that's news, but it's almost as valuable. What does this mean for a retailer? Is this the end of retail because everybody with an iPhone will get this app and, you know, you'll be in a toy store and you'll shoot a picture of that doll and you'll get a, a message right back from Amazon saying that, you know, the doll that is twenty nine ninety five in your local toy store is $20.00 at Amazon, and you're an Amazon priority customer, so shipping is free, so you could save 10 bucks buying the doll online. Now, what is the impact of that? So that's a very interesting question. You know, there could be some analysis there. So that's the second kind of content. And the third kind of content is assistance. Um, you know, how do, I, how do I make my iPhone sync with my uh, MacBook for the Firefox bookmarks? which I really would like to know, actually. <laughs> so, so, you know, those are the, yeah. So I think those are the three kinds of, you know, major topics that make a blog site or blog or website compelling and engaging and enchanting. Fantastic. So just sort of a couple more questions, and I know uh, yeah. you've been gracious enough to, to invest uh, a bit of time with us on the show today. Uh, a couple more thoughts. One of them is I, I was really curious, Chapter 12, uh, how to resist enchantment. I, I guess for someone flipping through it quickly and looking at it, is number one is, you know, how do I do that? And also, why would I want to resist enchantment? Well, I mean, there are circumstances where, you know, you know you just should not do something. You should not <laughs> buy something. You should not consume something, right? And so, um, in a sense, anybody with 20 bucks can buy this book and learn how to enchant people. But it's also true that not everybody with 20 bucks who buy this book does have your best interests at heart. So I think it's kind of a, you know, my moral responsibility to also teach you that how to resist enchantment, which is, you know, there's some simple things. Like if you know you're a sucker for sales, don't go to the shopping center. Yes. <laughs> right. I mean, uh, another another uh, technique is, you know, if you if you buy this thing now, six months from now, will you be happy, 
because you bought it, or will you be upset? Because, yes, you know, six minutes from now, you're going to love the fact that you bought this thing. But six months from now, is it really going to add to the net happiness of your life? So that's uh, another good technique. And then, you know, there's another ramification, which I wrote a chapter entirely about how to resist enchantment. A great enchanter will understand how people are trying to resist enchantment, and it'll make that person a better enchanter. Great. So there's that, too. Fantastic. So I guess just sort of wrapping up here, uh, you know, most of my listeners, of course, uh, are, you know, of two groups. They're typically, you know, social media, digital marketers, but also uh, sales management and sales professionals. So this is kind of, Mm -hmm. I guess, a two-way piece. Leaving this, what are a couple of pieces of advice you can give to sales organizations on being more enchanting and also to those who are using the social web to connect with customers? Well, I don't think there's much difference between the two. You know, it's all about being a pleasant person who's likable, trustworthy, you know, honest, uh, telling the conflicts of interest, uh, and having the best interests at heart of the other person, not just of yourself. And I'll tell you something. um, One of the big inspirations for this book was the Dale Carnegie book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. And that book is something like 75 years old. So... And it still sells well. So, um, you know, kind of everybody has to have a dream. Like, you know, as an author, I dream about writing and impacting the world like Peter Drucker. Okay? So uh, for this particular book, you know, I I look at the impact of Dale Carnegie and I say, wow, you know, I'd like this. For your your audience, who's the sales manager – um, that has bought How to Win Friends and Influence People for the sales team, I'd ask that person to consider this book. I think this book you know, fits right on the shelf next door to How to Win Friends and Influence People. Fantastic. So, Guy, uh, where can people learn more about the book? Uh, you know, where are they going to... Uh, I guess they can go to facebook.com forward slash enchantment, yes. which is the page, and it's loaded uh, with all kinds of information. Uh, from both the crowd, so to speak, uh, <laughs> as well as yourself uh, on the book. Yeah, uh, I, I, I made an interesting decision for your social media listeners. You know, I had to decide whether to create a website for the book or a fan page on Facebook for the book. Mm-hmm. And I chose Facebook because I think with all the built-in stuff, the liking and the, the commenting and the uploading of pictures and the up, you know, linking and the wall and spreading and all that, it's better than a website today. Absolutely. I, I can't do everything a website can do, but I can do 80% of it with you know, 10% of the trouble. Well, especially a book. I mean, that's how uh, you know, a product of its nature is it's a great tool. I mean, Ford launched yeah. the Explorer, their new Explorer this past year, using a Facebook page. No, no yeah. microsite. And I think that it's a, uh, they are really, really giving you almost all the tools you need uh, yep. to enchant your customers, so to speak. Absolutely. Yep. And then at Guy Kawasaki on Twitter, if they want to drink right from the fire hose. <laughs> and, and, you know, if they really, if they want to contact me directly, guy at alltop.com. My, you know, my email is not a secret, so. Fantastic. Okay. Well, Guy, thank you very much for coming on and enchanting us today. Uh, I'm looking forward to cracking that book myself uh, very soon. Uh, And uh, hopefully we'll see you in this neck of the woods uh, for your book tour. Yeah, and, you know, if you read the book, resisting you will be futile. 
Fantastic. Thank Fantastic. You. Well, this is Shane Gibson's podcast from closingbigger.net.